Welcome to episode 11 of Exploring Astrophysics. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Boris Leistet, an astrostatistician and cosmologist at Imperial College London. I hope you learned something in this podcast, as I for one did not know an astrostatistician even existed until now. How did you decide to settle on astrophysics out of the many branches of physics there are? Um, well, I guess like, uh, like many of my colleagues, actually, I, I just watched a lot of astronomy programs uh, growing up. And uh, yeah, at some point, I think I told my family I want to become an astrophysicist. And they just, I think they laughed and didn't really take me seriously. It turns out I actually ended up studying engineering at school just for, for various reasons. And uh, I just, I think I was lucky enough to go back into physics by the end of my undergrad and doing an internship in astronomy. And that also gave me uh, the chance to apply to PhD programs in astrophysics and cosmology and someone, you know, someone believed in me and I, I ended up doing my PhD here in, in UCL uh, in, in London. So it's, it's quite, uh, so it's not what you'd expect as a, as a standard uh, background story um, for doing an astrophysics PhD, but actually that's a, that's a misconception because a lot of, if I just look at a lot of my colleagues, uh, so first of all, the, the, the diversity of, of backgrounds and where people are from and uh, also educational backgrounds is, is very, very broad and, and surprising. Um, so it really, it really shows that everyone has a place uh, in fields like astronomy and applied sciences in general are, are, are really good for that. So, um, and it, something that I also like to mention uh, often is the fact that you know, we all have strengths and weaknesses and we all think that we're not good enough for this or that program and we don't have quite the right background for, well, that's something that I hear very frequently from students applying to PhD programs. And actually, uh, again, that's a, that's a misconception. And one piece of advice that I often give is that it's good to learn to identify your strengths and try and, you know, highlight them. Uh, and there's often ways uh, to apply for, for programs, especially in, in things like astrostatistics. There's so much, uh, so many opportunities and so much to do. And there's really, uh, really broad diversity of, of backgrounds. Plus the fact that astronomy is very international and people, people move around during their careers quite a lot, perhaps more than other fields in physics. Um, so that's, um, yeah, it's really pleasant field to, to work in. Did you find that you know, when you were first thinking of doing, looking at astronomy, did you have certain like ideas of what that kind of work would entail? Did that change when you actually started working in the field? Collaborating with people is something that I, I didn't, I just didn't think about it when I started my PhD, because obviously you get enthusiastic about the science and you want to learn more, uh, you want to contribute to a field or discover something or work on a spe specific kind of data that you're enthusiastic about. Um, but in the end, actually, collaborating with people is perhaps one of the most pleasant things because if you, yeah, if, if you end up working with people who, quite, who are quite different from you, uh, they can really change your mind on, you know, all sorts of things and change the way you work and change your, your perception 
and and bring information just factually factually speaking when you write a paper with multiple authors just everyone has different ideas and different contributions and that what's it's really what can make a, a piece of work more solid so it's something that I, I didn't quite think about when I started and again the fact that the field is quite diverse and there's people working on anything from instrumentation to theory and sometimes doing both you find someone who works in hardware uh, most days and actually does theory one day a week and, and work on you know dark energy models or something that they're interested about and that's obviously one of the perks of research is that you you get uh, you get to work on you get to explore ideas and work on uh, what you like usually the, the, it has to be a, obviously a combination of taking opportunities and working on things that are important for the field, but you can also work and explore ideas. And, and there's a whole, the whole, the whole uh, question of risk and reward. Some, some projects are very risky, but also might, might lead to a discovery. Some other things are more incremental and just solve a specific, you know, technical problem on something. And, and that's also important in ways. Um, yeah. So as an astrostatistician, what kind of work do you do? Ah, so, uh, well, astronomy and statistics, I guess. Um, yeah, so, so that's an interesting one because, again, this isn't something that you would necessarily think about when thinking about careers of, you know, careers in astronomy uh, or astrophysics or cosmology. But it turns out that we really, like most fields in sciences now, people doing analysis and developing algorithms and software uh, really make a huge difference. Um, and so what, just to give you an example, probably a few decades ago, you could still take astronomy, say images or even catalogs of galaxies and by hand do calculation or make a figure, a really simple figure and discover something or, or, or show an effect uh, because the data was, you know, there was still there's a question of the balance between the precision of the data and the precision of the models. And you can't do this anymore. Uh, the, the level of sophistication that is now needed to take raw data from an experiment and go into conclusions that advance the field, uh, the, that, that level of sophistication is incredibly high. And it, it takes sometimes months or years of work by several hundred people to put all things together. Um, and so I, I, can, I can give an example of why statistics is so important there. So if you imagine you're doing an experiment and you want to measure the average height of a population uh, of, of people, of humans, you, you, first of all, you have to collect the data. So you, you go and you know, measure their heights. Uh, and then you try and derive your estimates. So the, the trivial thing to do would would be take the average, of course, of your measurements, and that's the average height of that population. But that's actually only working if you, if your measurement process isn't biased, and if you understand what you've been doing. Because if you're systematically off, uh, then of course the result will be off. Um, off, I, I, I mean, systematically off when you took the measurements. Or worse, if you're, uh, if if you're. Well, there's, there's always, there's always a, a noise contribution to this. So you're not infinitely accurate when you take the measurement. And that noise, well, if, if 
that imprecision is higher for, say, taller people. So if you've got a skewedness, that's something that we call heteroskedasticity in statistics, uh, that actually, again, propagate into a biased measurement. And in astronomy, you can imagine doing that for lots of galaxies, and it turns out that that effect gets worse when you have millions of uh, objects or items of humans you know, to take data for. And the statistician is the person who would sit down and work with uh, theorists and people designing experiments and try and understand the assumptions uh, that go in the measurement process and what analysis is, is needed to really derive uh, a correct um, estimate. And so, for example, in the, the case of the, the height measurement, you would really, you could actually introduce uh, parameters to try and correct for any measurement bias or, or any uncertainty modeling. And, and it actually, I, I'm just thinking now, it is something that you, you could still do with pen and paper because uh, it's it not necessarily a difficult calculation, but it is something where you, you re it requires uh, thinking. And so this, this whole aspect of modeling and statistics is critical now in most sciences in astronomy, particularly. Um, and so as astrostatisticians work specifically in astronomy, and, and it, is a, it is a word because you wouldn't necessarily use the same methods uh, if you were working on particle physics data. Um, it's a really different realm in the type of, it's not just the type of data, it's really, for example, the major difference between uh, astrophysics and uh, particle physics is the fact that we, we can't repeat the experiments in astronomy. You observe what you observe, yeah. uh, especially with, with things like cosmology, where you're looking at the light of distant galaxies. Those galaxies are not uh, going anywhere. The, once you've observed them, uh, this is it. You, you can't have another random realization of our entire universe and, explore, and, and observe more galaxies. Whereas in particle physics, people can just repeat the experiment or you know, make more collisions and, and reduce the noise levels. So this is why the methods in astronomy and, and particle physics or biology are, are so different. So is this what, is this kind of the work you do when you test models? What is the um, analysis that goes behind testing models? What are you trying to like test against, for example? Yeah, so, so um, a really common example actually is uh, models of gravity. So if, if you if you come up with a model for how you think gravity works, mm -hmm. which could be you know, an extension of general relativity or something completely different even, um, you would, well, your job as, as a theorist would be to make sure that you make predictions for something that we can observe, right? Because uh, otherwise it's, it's not, it could just be the realm of philosophy if you don't make, you know, testable predictions. But once you do that, for example, in cosmology, a classic one would be to say, well, I predict this, this specific model of gravity will predict uh, that the distribution of galaxies has this property, uh, for example, has as much clustering on certain scales as other scales, or you know, dark matter halos are more massive and therefore you expect more galaxies, more, more, uh, more elliptical galaxies and galaxy clusters. So this is the sort of predictions that those models will make. And then, uh, well, we design experiments to go and find those objects, observe as many as we can of those galaxies, uh, observe massive galaxy clusters, make sure we have enough light to 
measure how to estimate how distant the galaxies are. And then there's lots of analysis that goes on top of that to actually make sure that we, it's what I mentioned earlier. So it's making sure that we understand measurement process, that we have extra modeling pieces that we need to in the end match and make a prediction directly against what the model uh, predicts, um, make a measurement versus the model predictions. And sometimes it's, it's well, it's usually more precise than that. And, and the model has some parameters uh, in cosmology, those are those are typically the uh, the energy density of dark matter, and baryons, uh, the expansion rate of the universe. Those are the traditional parameters, and and uh, we estimate them, and we try and see different types of data. Agree, that's a that's a big theme in the field uh, for this past decade, because we have so many different observables and different ways of observing, um, measuring the expansion rate, for example, the growth rate that really we we live in a really exciting time that we, we can compare what different data sets tell us um, and actually we live we live a really exciting time in, in the way that not all of them agree and those tensions between data sets are they're really interesting because they either they tell us that we we're not quite understanding how we measure things uh, or we've missed something in our measurement process or analysis is wrong, or maybe it's a bug. Uh, maybe it's a software bug somewhere, but that's also useful to know. Um, or maybe it's actually a piece of physics that we're missing and perhaps it will be a breakthrough. And if you look at the history of physics, uh, this is usually how breakthroughs happen, especially in astronomy. It's when a bunch of measurements don't agree and people don't understand why. And eventually someone brilliant comes up with an explanation that's incredibly simple and reconciles everything. So that's how dark energy was discovered, for example. When you, you mention all these like data sets, what kind of tools and how do you go around processing these data sets to uncover the information? It's hard to appreciate how rich astronomy is. Like I, I, I read, a. Uh, when, when, whenever I, I go through astronomy books, I, I still discover ways of, of observing uh, or types of instruments that I just didn't know about. Um, uh, that being said, I actually work on a really simple uh, type of instrument, which is those imaging photometric surveys, where it's literally a camera, like a CCD camera, like you'd find in any DSLR camera, uh, except it's, of course, much more powerful, but it is still just CCD uh, with with color filters in front of it. And, and that's the sort of data that we get. So we get those beautiful images of the night sky where you can resolve thousands of stars and thousands of, thousands of galaxies uh, and many other exotic things. And so what we do is just extracting their positions, measuring the fluxes, measure, measuring the morphologies, and then continuing into seeing, well, what is the cosmological model predicting for say, where elliptical galaxies versus blue spiral galaxies form uh, and seeing if we can measure that accurately and, and learn anything new. Uh, but there's, there's really a plethora of types of data. Cosmic microwave background data is, is also extremely rich. Uh, well, that's more, you know, um, that's obviously microwave uh, frequencies. Those are usually on satellites uh, or balloons. Whereas the, the data that I work with are just typically telescopes uh, high up in the mountains in, in Chile or Arizona or, or Hawaii. 
Um, but we also send satellites to capture infrared light. Uh, radio astronomy is something that's going to become really prominent in the field in the next decade as, as we build those giant uh, radio telescopes uh, made of thousands of antenna over thousands of kilometers that will just, you know, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll observe the sky in the radio. And that, again, it's a funny one because you can't quite observe, like the raw data is just a signal that humans cannot understand. Whereas images, you can look at images and still make something of it. Whereas radio astronomy is one of those where you have to do a lot of processing to get to something that uh, would look like an astronomy map or, or image. I'm amazed that by just getting pictures of certain parts of the sky, you can extract so much information. Is it just a picture that you then like can get data on or are there more complicated measurements that are also taken? There, there are simple aspects of that and others are, are a bit more evolved. But um, if I take the examples of the early days of doing galaxy surveys, uh, so, so galaxy survey is actually a, a piece of jargon that I, sh I should probably define. It's just this idea of doing a census of a population of galaxies over a big patch of sky and to a certain depth or, or distance. Um, and we do that because, for example, in, in, in the early days, of that field, uh, people didn't quite know what the energy density of, of matter in the universe was. And it turns out that when in the sort of ballpark precision that we were playing with, you could literally, you just had to measure the distribution of a few thousand galaxies and people would make those maps by hand. And just by doing that and simple calculations, you could already say something about, uh, you know, how much matter there must be in the universe for, for this to work. Uh, because the structures, the way galaxies form and evolve would look totally different if there was twice that amount of energy density. Uh, so it, it can be really simple. Uh, there's other things that take a lot more work. For example, people working on cosmic shear, so weak gravitational lensing, uh, that's a little bit more subtle because that's, it's again based on a galaxy survey where you've measured you found, you know, population of galaxies over a certain volume, uh, but then you would look at their their shapes, and it turns out that um, their shapes are slightly distorted by just the lensing due to the matter all the way that that's basically between us and those distant galaxies. And there's, there's a lot of it because dark matter again, most of the universe is made of dark matter, and uh, and there's a lot of dark matter between us and those visible galaxies. And those shapes are distorted by, you know, a few, you know, tens of per percent or something. But when, you've, when you're observing millions of galaxies that we do now, it turns out it's a pretty big signal. And you just, you know, the analysis is a little bit more involved because you have to correlate things and measure those carefully, et cetera. So it's not as interpretable as, as just looking at distributions. Uh, but it's still an extremely clear and strong signal that we can take. We actually can say a lot about the cosmological model that way. Going back to the um, data sets that you work with, what is it about these that make it hard to process and extract the information from? The amount of data is one. It's probably the main difficulty now. The fact that we're dealing with effects that are so subtle, we're, we're looking for, you know, understanding dark matter at such a level of precision that we know we have to collect the light for, for hundreds of millions of galaxies. And, and one of the experiments I, I work on that's going to start operation next year, uh, 
this is going to scale that number up to, I think, three or four billion galaxies. And just the sheer number of having to understand what you're doing and people have to worry about very subtle effects in the hardware and how photons are being read out in the CCD. Uh, and that actually propagates into detectable bias in the final answer if you don't deal with that properly. So it's remarkable that we do all that work. And so that's just a sheer number and sheer precision of, of the whole operation. There is something though that makes astronomy perhaps different from other fields. The fact that we understand actually our measurement process quite well. We have, we have uh, reasonable models for a lot of those effects. For example, the, 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 the level of uncertainty that we get when, when we measure uh, the position or flux of a galaxy in an image, the, the photon noise is something we understand quite well uh, from, uh, uh, from first principles in physics. And so we, we model that, we use that uh, to our advantage. Whereas other fields, perhaps in biology or, or condensed matter physics, they, sometimes they know nothing about the uncertainties intrinsic to their measurement. So it, it can, be, you know, can be daunting, whereas we take advantage of that. We take advantage of all sorts of properties uh, that way. The fact that we have good reasons to believe that galaxies form in dark matter halos and on large scales, there's some properties that you can uh, that help you model that. And so it's, it's quite a, it's a great field to work in. There's, there's only one issue, I think, that I, again, I didn't appreciate when I started working in this field. Actually, astronomy involves pretty much all branches of physics. If you want to understand how stars form and evolve and how they form galaxies in turn and how galaxies interact with each other on cosmological scales, you need everything. You, you need, obviously, uh, you, you need general relativity uh, for gravitation, and you need statistical physics, you need nuclear physics. Uh, so some, it's, it's funny to go through textbooks and have to, you know, go back and forth between different branches of physics to explain different pieces uh, of actually really clear observations in, in data. And it's also why some fields of, some questions in astronomy took a long time to resolve. Because, for example, it took a long time for people to realize that it was nuclear uh, forces, nuclear interactions powering stars. That's really interesting. I never really thought about it like that, that astronomy was so interlinked with all other subfields of physics. So I think that ends all my questions. So thank you very much for speaking to me. Um, no worries. Yeah, I didn't even know before this that an astrostatistician even existed. So it's fascinating to learn more about what kind of work you do. Yeah, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's new buzzwords that come up all the time for this, but uh, that one is sufficiently mainstream that I can use it. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, there's also cos cosmoinformatics is one. The difference between statistics and informatics uh, is, is quite subtle. Um, but yeah, and it, it's really worth, I think, yeah, it, it, it's worth... Uh, exploring careers and, and understanding that usually that there, there's, um, there's space in, in astronomy for all sorts of backgrounds and it's always uh, pleasing to, uh, to see. And also I, sh I should actually emphasize something else that's quite peculiar from astronomy. The fact that projects are fairly short term, uh, as in 
the data are usually public. And when I read a paper that comes out uh, in a journal, it is very likely that I could actually go and fetch the data and repeat the analysis uh, on a fairly quick uh, you know, time scale, perhaps in a few months. So it, it is an extremely strong feature because we can repeat things and check results. Whereas I think biology is clearly a field that struggles with that because people keep their data secret and uh, that you know reproducibility uh, is a, is an issue, especially if you have to say dissect mice for a few years before you can detect anything. Whereas astronomy is, is quite pleasant in that way, so um, it's also quite open. Yeah, definitely. I hope, uh, yeah, I hope that was useful and. Uh, yeah, it gives you a different uh, take on, on on that, and uh, yeah, yeah, definitely.